You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Oh, no! We suck again! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hello, Grump. I know uh, I know the game ran late Monday, so we had to sleep an extra 24 hours. So that's why you're getting this show on Thursday instead. Wait, what day is today? We're Today's Wednesday. This on a Wednesday. Yeah, yes, so they're, so they're going to get it Thursday morning, yeah. That's why you're getting this on Thursday as opposed to Wednesday because we just had to sleep it through. So, you know, we, we've reached the part of the season and we've reached the level of incompetence with this team and lack of winning that – we are slowly becoming numb to losses. Not that we are up all night really mad of a loss. It's just that that hopeless feeling of another one. And uh, the Giants find a way to lose again. Yeah, more soul-searching than, uh, than frustration or, or raw emotion. Um, but I will say... You know, they lost 20-17. to 17, Real close game. Had the lead at one point in the fourth quarter. Uh, I believe 17-14 in the fourth quarter with like, I don't know, let's say six minutes left in the game or something like that. Um, I will say that um, I don't think we were in a good, even though it was late, I don't think we were necessarily in a good spot to discuss the game objectively immediately after um, the game ended. But I was prepared to do a complete ridiculous episode if they had won. I don't know if you were. (laughs) I also I still had the Luigi mustache because I you know I had that for the for the episode that we did and then I went to bed like Sunday night right after I did all the editing for it and then you know Monday I gotta wake up and go to work I didn't have time so like I I, I just rocked a mustache all day and I was like I'll keep it if we win this game it was close it'll never come off again yeah you'll be, you'll be like Raleigh fingers man just <laughs> yeah mustache it, just, it just keeps going out it just keeps getting longer. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, this one was brutal. This this is yeah. a tough pill to swallow a little bit when you think about it. When you rewatch it, it's a tougher pill to swallow for me. Yeah, what it is, Grump, and you know, you, you strip away all of the narratives of the game. You know, you strip away the fact that the Giants are probably an average team at full strength, and with all the injuries, they're decimated. You strip away the fact that Kansas City. You know, is the defending AFC champions and have the most you know dynamic quarterback in the league, but they are struggling now. You strip away all of that, and what I always say this: what's past is prologue. And at that moment, with seven minutes left, it's a team in blue versus a team in red, and the team in blue is up by you know was leading this game. So it's it's frustrating when you find a way to have losers lose, which we are certainly in the a 10-year run of, but um, did I stay up all night and just being like very upset about it? No, you know. Unfortunately, once you, you, know, you take a step back from that moment in time of a team in red and a team in blue, and you look at the the, the state of this franchise and how the losses keep mounting, that uh, you know, I'm I'm getting numb to the losses, and that's not a good sign. That's not a that's not a sign that I'm giving up anything. Like I'm not gonna not watch anymore, but it's just you get beaten down so much, and another loss is another loss, no matter how frustrating or heartbreaking it is. And that's unfortunately where I am right now. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I I don't know because you know we we previewed this game, and uh, I was much more offended, uh, annoyed, frustrated. You know that that. So many in the national stage, I understand, don't have the insight to the Giants, and the they get they get the lazy reporting of you know, you know, just quick highlights of Daniel Jones tripping over his shoelaces or or, or getting sack fumbled or, 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 or something like that. We still call him a turnover machine, which yeah, that's it, not the case. exactly right. I understand that that is the national, you know, thing. The Chiefs aren't in our conference. They're not in our division. They're not close to us geographically. There's no reason for them to know inward details of our team because we're not even we're not, you know, good enough to be in the national spotlight or anything like that. Anyway, so I was frustrated that that you know people who do this for a living or you know 
put a lot of effort into doing it for a hobby, I guess, you know, completely looked over the Giants, didn't bother to do the research at all. And you could tell in their, their fake analysis. And, you know, I was, I was like still even after all of that, like knowing that the Chiefs aren't really that much better than us this year. You know, I don't take away the fact that they are probably still AFC contenders. Like their current run, is, I viewed it the same way the Panthers, right? The Panthers game, I said the same shit. You know, I, I know they got off to a hot start, whatever, but they're on a three-game losing streak, man. They they are not figuring this out. You know, there's a path here. And I noticed the same things with the Chiefs. I just understood that that was a more uphill, you know, sledding than, than a Panthers game. Um, and so we still previewed this game like, I don't think it's going to be necessarily close. I had this as a 10-point loss. But I did think it would be close through the first half. Well, the difference between Carolina and New England, uh, and Kansas City, is Carolina was pretty banged up, you know. We, we, and, absolutely, yeah. And Kansas City is just playing poorly now. Whether that is a little complacency, a little, you know, maybe a little exhaustion. I mean, this team has gone, has made deep runs in the playoffs the last couple of years, and you know, you're in week seven of a regular season where you're kind of maybe going through the motions a little bit. You know, they. You know their season is getting short rather quickly, and they better turn on the switch ASAP if they want to get back to the playoffs. Much less, you know, defend their AFC you know championship. But uh, yeah, again, they they still have a lot more talent than we do. And I'm going to start with talent. Yeah, you know, over I agree. Anything else, talent and depth. And I think at some point the light switch is going to go off for Kansas City, and they'll be fine. But the longer the season goes on, the more you're like, well, is it going to go on? There's, there's other things going happening, but that's not my problem. We we don't do the Just Chiefs podcast. You know, good luck to them, and you know, Godspeed. I, I'm not going to really think about them much more the rest of the year. The question is, you know, the product that was on the field for them and the product on the field for us, with eight minutes left or six minutes left, was a dead even game, and we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, like we do so many times. So let's start backwards with this game. Um, I guess at the very end of the game, the the timeout situation, right? So with like two minutes and 40 or so seconds on the clock, we have one timeout. It's second down and goal, I think, for the Chiefs. Um, and Joe Judge decides at that point to hold that last timeout until after the two-minute warning. I'm legitimately asking. I'm not taking a strong stand on any side here, but I don't understand. And, and you know, maybe you can explain it to me, or or maybe maybe I'm right. I don't know. I don't understand why you wouldn't take the timeout at two minutes and forty seconds and leave them at third and goal. Um, to to run it down to the two minute warning. Then you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just different coaches have different philosophies. Whether they want to, you know, have those, you know, have those timeouts in your pocket or stop it immediately. Um, I was actually even considering. I think I might have texted you. It's like maybe just let them score. Because yeah, I think probably, it, I, they're probably going to yeah. score anyway. So you might maybe just you know maximize your time, maximize your timeouts. And see what you can do. Now, because- I see – look, I, I think that's a legitimate strategy. But I think that's when you have the opposite situation that the Giants have. Last or Monday night, the Giants' defense was on fire. The Giants' offense, while they did score 17 points, two touchdowns for Daniel Jones throwing the ball, um, they didn't – first of all, were definitely not consistent. And second of all, they were moving the ball kind of, sort of – you know, there was a lot of, like, penalties and things helping out the offense, which, you know, I'm not, not their problem, that, that but but they were, you know, several times going backwards, you know, and then punting and then everyone – two touchdown drives and, you know. Um, right. So when, when your offense is the sputtering side, I don't let them score. You know, I, I want – you know, play to your strength. Your defense is your strength right now. Try and stop them. Um so, but I, I think that's a legit strategy. What you yeah, said. Yeah, I was just thinking about probabilities and like, what is the probability that we're going to hold them from scoring? I get it. And I, thought, I understand. I thought, it, I thought it was pretty low. So, you know, something if they're going to do it, let them do it. Let's have as much time and, and much opportunity, you know, the other way. So that that was my thing. But I, I thought about that for a little bit. I think I even texted you about that. 
And I was like, well, let's let it play out and see what, what does happen. But, um, you know, these are the moments, you know, the most important moments for a coach are, you know, end of game, clock management, these things. And and stop you know, us if you've heard this conversation before. And stop us if you heard us with previous coaches as well. I mean, True. I remember I remember that Atlanta game, that Monday night game in, or Sunday night game. Was it Sunday or Monday? Went to Atlanta. I think it was Monday. It was, yeah, we're, that's right. We had the Chick-fil-A there, so it was Monday. We're coming on that. But I remember <laughs> being pretty pissed at Pat Shermer. Like the same type of situation of like just the crazy use of timeouts. And, you know, I don't know if this is something where, you know, these are young coaches and first-time head coaches that are trying to learn on the job with this. But this to me seems kind of like coaching 101. And isn't that why you have, you know, assistant coaches and coordinators and specialists on your staff to kind of – you know, if, if you are trying to micromanage a team and all these things you have to think about, someone should be dedicated to clock management and things. And I don't understand. And then, you know, I know he gave this ridiculous thing about the uh, the headphones was, was causing also, which just seems like a ridiculous excuse. You know, here's the thing about that. I, I, I don't really want to comment on it because – I don't really understand um, the nuances of the communication systems in the NFL. So I am not educated enough to take a strong stance on whether that's smart or dumb. What I can talk about is optics. And it sounded and looked stupid to say. Um, and he may be 100% right. And, and you know he may have been dealing with – his staff may have been dealing – from what I can gather, it was not – the coach-to-player communication it is the coach-to-coach communication on the sideline, and they're different systems. There's a way systems. to solve that. There's an immediate way to – if it's not working, you stop the game, you go to the ref, you tell them that headphones come off on both teams, end of story. So if he's, if, if, if he's having an issue with this the entire game, he's at a disadvantage because he can't communicate with his coaches, and he's at a competitive disadvantage because the other team still can. That's, that's just stupid. I mean, if, if, if that's what he said as an excuse, if he doesn't understand what the rules are, well, from what I also gather, it it will only be if it's a total system failure that the other team has to do that. And I think now this is me speculating. There was one point in the game where Joe Judge seemed to be talking to the officials. I, nobody really seemed to understand why it happened. Like kind of after a penalty of some kind, and I don't remember which one it was, but everybody was in agreement that the penalty was obvious. So it didn't seem like he was arguing about that. He did have his headset off and in his hand. Maybe he did tell the officials, and they explained to him that it has to be a full. But I, I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not even on his side. I don't think he should have ever said it. He may be completely correct, and that it's a thing where he brought it to the officials. They told him that's not how the rule works. You got to figure it out, and it put him at a competitive disadvantage, and he's frustrated about it. But don't say it because a this is not the uh, the Indiana Hoosiers media that are just gonna not that they're gonna let that go. I mean, that's you know that's gonna be an all caps fucking print on the back page of whatever. Hey, listen, media has changed over the years because I'm dealing with the same optics problem with my head coach at University of Florida, where. It used to be 20, 30, 40 years ago that the hometown you know, newspaper guy protected the program and you know, made the head coach and the team kind of like you know, up here in, like in, the, in the clouds and in the heavens, never saying a bad word. You know, now when Dan Mullen says something stupid and which happens on a nightly basis lately, he gets destroyed by the local media, never mind the national media who's you – know, circling the uh you know the pool sniffing out blood so there is no more protecting of your coach and your team by the locals no matter how small a town is or something is when you get to a place as major as new york where it's so cutthroat trying to you know break a story that's that's the worst thing so he's gonna learn very quickly that say optics are extremely important and keeping the fan base on your side especially when this team is two and six, especially with all the noise about Dave Gettleman and his future and wasted picks and injuries and, you know, Mara, think twice before you speak because you're not helping yourself. Um, I'm a fan of a lot of the things Joe Judge does still. Um, you know, I, I think it's 
if you picked any head coach in the NFL, Bill Belichick included, I can find something about them that I think they don't do very well. Um, so when I nitpick, and I don't think this is nitpicking. I, 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 these are legit criticisms. I have a problem with Joe Judge's time management. I think at this point I can say that definitively. I think I have a problem with him being as conservative as he is. I, I think there's that's another that's thing. But one thing I never had a problem with him from day one, the thing I thought he was probably the best at was communicating to the media. I really think that he's probably handled the New York media better than most coaches that have been here um, in the last couple cycles. I mean, Ben McAdoo is probably the worst by far. Pat Shermer wasn't great. Um, You know, Tom Coughlin had his moments. You know, he – the media and him kind of grew around – yeah, but but prior to winning a Super Bowl, he was not, you know, a big he he was not popular with the media. And then even, you know, following the 2011 Super Bowl run, those waning years, uh, you know, 2012 through 2015, um, you know, he he you know, he had his moments then too. I never really had an issue with Joe Judge in the media. This was this was a dumb thing in my opinion. Well, I just I, just I, don't I, say it whatever. Like I I think, you know, Pressure is mounting on everybody. I, I absolutely know. yes. And again, and again, I for most of you who don't really care about the University of Florida, I'm going to say this kind of again. It's like there are such stark parallels between the trajectory of the, the the Florida football program and the Giants right now, where they're just for whatever reasons are not winning games. They, they're losing. You know, you can say what you want about injuries. You can say what you want about. This, that, and the other, but the bottom line is, you know, both teams are losing, and both teams are having issues with the perception of what's coming out of their coach's mouth. You know, in Florida, they had they issued a media silence this week, where, he, you know, Mullen's press conference was five minutes. He ended it. The coordinators are not allowed to speak to the media, and no interviews this week at all. Period. You know, and, and it, that's because they're losing, and they are feeling the heat. They don't want the outside noise. And the Giants, you know, Joe Judge, Graham, Garrett, they all know. They, they, what do you think? They don't have Twitter? I mean, if, if, if you and I can see this stuff, you you can bet your ass that guys like that who are, you know, narcissists to begin with, just, just on the fact of what kind of job they have and how they, you know, get to the top, they hear all that's going on and they don't want to deal with it. So I think is the first time you're seeing, you know, I, I'm not going to say Joe Judge is on the hot seat, but the first time he's feeling pressure – that you know the, the the honeymoon you get from being a new coach it's over and now you're being treated based on what your record is and what you you know his track record and his track record now is almost two years the win loss percentage is awful and that's not all his fault but parts of it are um, you said the things that you know that you like about judge and some of the things you're not too happy with something that is not making me very happy with this team and it's very concerning is just again the lack of attention to detail and the lack mm. of discipline on this team oh definitely yeah you know, right there go ahead again, go 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 and again i'm gonna give a tiny bit of a pass because you have guys coming in and out of the rotation in and out of the starting lineup in and out on the field that probably have no business being on an nfl f- field and you know there's no you know, the offensive line is not playing together anymore. The secondary is scrambled. So I get that sometimes you may get some, you know, procedural mistakes from guys, you know, because they just haven't been working together. But the personal fouls and the taunting, I mean, who the hell taunts anybody when you're two and six and you're the ass of the league? You know, that's what this team is right now. And just, you know, I don't know where these guys' heads are. I don't know what repercussions are being you know, if you make a stupid mistake, you know, I don't see these guys leaving the field and sitting and being benched. So that makes me wonder what's being done behind the scenes to punish these guys and to get their heads on straight because this team is getting sloppier and sloppier and more and more undisciplined. And it's bad enough that the the talent on the field is suffering because A, it's an eh roster to begin with and B, it's so banged up. But giving the other team extra first downs, extra yardage, extra opportunities is basically putting the nail in the coffin for these games. Very winnable games. This game could have been won if this team was more disciplined. And they weren't, and we didn't. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that for sure. You know, I'm less worried about 
what they're doing to punish guys that screw this up and more worried about the preparation here. You know, I, I understand that there's two sides to it, but listen, listen, from, from a coaching perspective for me, when I'm coming into this game, I see the Tyron Matthews on this team, the Tariq Hills, and, you know, Kadarius Tony was under control. Everybody in the media had questions about him and if he's going to talk to this guy and what he's going to do if he talks to you. It wasn't Kadarius Tony that was the problem there. It was Eli Penny and, and Colin Johnson. That to me, Eli, in the grand scheme of the NFL, who the hell are Eli Penny and Colin Johnson? Seriously, and Eli Penny's was frustrating because it was after such a key big play, he just completely negated the play. They put them right back where they were. It was massive. Um, to me, that signals not preparing. I mean, if I can be like. I'm worried about – and the media too is asking a specific player about a player-to-player interaction. You know there are people with reputations about – I mean, Teren Matthew went into Tom Brady's face in the Super Bowl. I mean, you know what you're up against with this a, team. The guy's been a bitch since he was at uh, LSU. He was the same way. You know, And Andy Reid's Eagles were always Andy Reid's Eagles. I mean, I know this about this team. Why are your fringe players not prepared? You know what I mean? You're not getting your guys prepared to to walk away, to not give up the cheap stuff. And, you know, what's silly is that they're operating completely hamstrung on offense. I mean, the overwhelming injuries on offense to an already thin roster. I mean, we felt very good about the starters, but we knew that there was no depth. Um, you know, and now all the depth are the starters. You're playing so far behind the eight ball and... The only reason that the Giants were, you know, sustaining drives were stupid fucking penalties by the Chiefs. And the Chiefs actually out-penaltied us. Um, you know, if if it were just the simple things under control, that may have actually been enough, the penalties. Yeah. I, I mean, mean leaving off play. the table that we can have a whole conversation about O'Shane Zimenez's penalty. That's a whole yeah. separate event. This team has to play almost perfect in against anybody to win because, you know, we're just – roster and injuries means we have to play a cleaner game, a smarter game, a better game than the opposition to try to win. Again, giving them first downs, giving them extra yardage, giving them field position when they don't earn it, it it's a death sentence for this team. And again, that's a good reason why we lost. Um, let's talk about O'Shane Zimenez's penalty. Um, this is interesting to me because he jumps off sides. It was the Chiefs' final drive that led to the points. They were in their own end of the field. I can't remember where the play ended, but it was a free play. He threw a bad pick to Darnay Holmes, who jumped the route. And I think he ended up getting tackled eventually in the red zone. Um, so that you can pinpoint and say there is a good chance, there is a, a much better chance the Giants win this game by going up at least twenty to seventeen. You know, leaving the Chiefs to to go down the field in in a minute, two minutes, which obviously they can do. But the Giants had completely wiped out the big play from the Chiefs all game, so it would have been pretty difficult for them. It would not have been a gimme. Um, my question to you is. Did Mahomes only throw that pass because he knew it was a free play? Because I'm not so sure that he did. I don't think he saw Darnay Holmes at all. I think it's possible. I mean, the guy is – he's one of the greatest improvisational quarterbacks I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, the, he, the way he just – you know, we, we've all seen the arm angles and, you know, and doing this and throwing across his body and the no looks. And the decision-making he makes is so quick that uh, I, I believe so. That that which, he, which, he, which one? That he knew it was a free play and just uh, imp- improved on the fly on it. Okay, I I think he knew it was a free play, but I think he had time in the pocket and I, I th- so it's possible. I'm willing to give it up, but I mean after rewatching it, because my initial reaction was like Jesus Christ, if only he didn't jump offside. Of course, right? And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, I mean, we all knew he was offside, so probably free play. But then I rewatched the game. You know, I thought he sat in the pocket, really looked, and I don't think he—I don't think he saw Darnay Holmes like at all. I think he really just thought he had an open guy and just got jumped. 
Um, right. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that play in particular, super killer right there. I mean, I don't know if I have words in my vocabulary to describe how how unnecessary and frustrating that penalty is. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what bad teams do. I mean, you can – every loss by a bad team, you can kind of circle and say – Self-imposed mistake, self-imposed, you know, not that they beat us on a particular play. It's just we keep banging our heads against the wall and we keep getting ourselves bloody because of it. And that's what makes it more aggravated when it's self-imposed. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's, and it's becoming a trend. This is not a bad, bad day. Like, you know, even talking about Joe Judge and like, you know, the decision making, it's like, you know, players have bad days. Coaches have bad days. And you can say – Eh, you know, it's it, every game isn't a referendum on, and we try not to do this on the show. Right. Make every game a referendum on the state of the program. Well, every game is not a referendum on Joe Judge. Every game is not a referendum on Daniel Jones. It's how do you do this particular day? And on this particular day, Joe Judge was not at his best. And so, but, yeah. But the but the trend of this team for playing sloppy, playing undisciplined, playing stupid, it's not a one game thing. It's developing over time. It's getting worse. Um, I agree. I like to try my best to write down the things. I mean, I don't. I don't need to try. It's part of what I do for this, right? You know, I. I we write down our stars and farts, and maybe I didn't announce that Joe Judge's clock management, no Shane Ziminis, were my farts for for this episode. But you know, I I do this specifically when I say Joe Judge's clock management. I don't just write Joe Judge. Um, And the reason why is because I don't view anybody in their entirety by their accomplishments and their mistakes individually, you know, the things that they do. Because there's ways to grade a person beyond the one aspect of their job. Um, And that way I can kind of tally along how many times Joe Judge's clock management comes up for me. And then I can get a better picture of where we are. And that way it's not... I don't have to do the caveat of, I mentioned Joe Judge in the Chiefs game, but I mean the Chiefs, did I really expect them to win, blah, 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 blah. You know, and that's a, that's a fair argument because I my, my initial thought was, you know, this is another game, but I totally thought they were going to lose by at least 10. You yeah, know, I thought the second half would get away thing. from them. But that, doesn't, but that doesn't excuse his clock management. And that way I can still point to his clock management and say, this is a problem. This is a real problem that in real terms of this game, we fucked up. Yeah, and I say this all the time. I say it on Twitter all the time. I say it to you, Grump, all the time. I say it to my wife all the time. What's past is prologue. What happened up to a certain point is irrelevant. You know, like, you know, something where, you know, there's a bad call at the end of a game. And, like, my dad, he always does this. He gives me the, well, he shouldn't have been there in the first place in this situation. Like, that doesn't matter. They were in this situation, and then the bad call happened or something. So that's kind of like what this game was. It, like, it doesn't matter what, how good the Chiefs are or if they're slumping or not or the, what the Giants' story is. At that moment, you know, when, when, when we're you know, three minutes left and it's a tight game, all of that stuff is nonsense. It doesn't matter. It's how do you execute? How do you, how do you play call? How do you handle your, your timeouts? How do you block? How do you do – how do you throw a pass? How do you complete a catch? You keep your feet in bound. Do you hit the extra point? Is, is the kick get shanked? All that stuff is nothing to do with what happened for the first 55 minutes. And this team finds ways in that final five minutes or in those critical spots. So it is a one play screws you, in a, in a, no matter what happened before. And it's just, you know, maybe it's just because, you know, the season's getting away from it. And now there's this feeling of, you know, they're not winning. They're not making the playoffs. And they can, they can see January and the end of the year already, which would be horrible since it's you know November third. I don't know. That's culture, and that falls on the on two people, well, two groups, the coaching staff and the captains slash leaders of this team. Can't blame all this on just the coaches to say you know, there has to be some sort of self policing within that locker room by peers. You know, I know. A few of the, 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 the captains are on IR and they're not, you know, with the team is, you know, often like a guy like Gates or, or someone. But 
somebody has to hold, hold this team accountable from within and within their own ranks. And I, I just don't see that right now. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple guys. I, I think like maybe Logan Ryan. Uh, I think Jabril Peppers. You know, like you mentioned some guys on IR. Um, yeah, he's not. He's not in the locker room anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, that's fair. You know, I, I don't. I don't know that Daniel Jones is that guy. You know, I, I think he's probably closer to the Eli Manning guy, where he holds guys accountable, but not on that what you consider a typical leader way of being very vocal and you know involved with everybody. You don't have to be vocal. I mean, you don't. You don't have to have the uh, you know the fire and brimstone speech. They're not everyone's a Michael Strahan, but being a captain and being a leader means you are the leader of men, and you know. I, again, I don't know. I'm not in that locker room. I haven't really read any stories or many insiders about what's going on in that locker room right now. But it just seems like there aren't a lot of leaders leading this team and self-policing and self-discipline. And it's showing on the field. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I come away with is I don't really know that there was anybody on the offensive side of the ball other than Nick Gates, maybe. You know, Nick Gates said, you know, he took it very personally. You know, I think he said that he like almost cried, uh, like, you know, got got somewhat emotional when he was, you know, received his captainship, took it very seriously. I believe that. And I, I know that Saquon Barkley is the same thing, you know, but. But, but Saquon Barkley being a captain is kind of silly. I mean, it's only his, what, his fourth year. He's been out a lot, you know, for long stretches of time. I mean. You know, a guy like Sterling Shepard's been there a long, much longer time, it feels like. He's been active more. He's been a part of the Yeah, but I don't really reward seniority with captainship. I reward leadership with captainship. Yeah, I I, I guess— I mean, like, I'm not saying that Saquon Barkley is a leader and therefore deserves a C. I'm just saying if Saquon Barkley, in his rookie year— came out there and really, like, was being a captain, I'm not going to deny him that just because it's his rookie year. Well, I'm talking more of the, you know, not being around all the time because he's hurt. You know, it's like that. That and that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That not so. I mean, shoot, I think there's some of these rookie quarterbacks are, are captains already. I think if we look around the league, I mean, they just probably, kinda, you're probably right. I don't really. Pay I, I, I want to say last year. I want to say Joe Burrow was a captain last year with Cincinnati. I mean, it's but possible. Like, Who else would you pick? Yeah, but 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 guys like him are just you know you saw it at LSU it like. This guy's got it. You know, he's got that leadership ability. He's a, he commands a presence in a a huddle on the field, a press conference. Um, a guy like like Peyton Manning was like that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just oh, Peyton held people won. accountable. I mean, it was I, I love looking at picture like video of Peyton like yelling at his teammates. I love pictures of uh, video of him in Tennessee going on four against Florida, but. Again, that's for the Just uh, Gators podcast. But that's like that's like that's like a um, voicemail for you. Like you just say Peyton Manning. It's like boop. I like watching yeah. Peyton Manning lose, <laughs> go zero and four to Florida. I, I, I think the Tony George pick in the '97 game might be my ringtone right now. But I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we again because I'm not I'm not trying to compliment sandwich this or anything, but. I have to say, like, you know, we expected this to be a much, you know, worse game in terms of points and, and what the Giants were going to have to shoot. You know, the, the word shootout was thrown out a lot as the only way they were going to win. Well, Patrick Graham's defense really, really held the Chiefs back. Well, let me ask you something, Grump. And, you know, we watched the game, obviously, Monday. You watched the tape again. How much would you say is... Patrick Graham's defense, his scheme versus the execution of the scheme versus the kind of the malaise slash incompetence of the Kansas City offense right now that kept the score low and in check. My, I, I, I posit to you that um, taking advantage of what the Chiefs aren't good at is playing good defense. Yeah. Um, so, and and I outlined all of this. This was my defensive path for victory. Do not allow a single thing deep. Nothing. Keep everything down. This team makes mistakes trying to force things. 
So make them force things. Make them try and force the deep shots. Make them fit it into tight windows. And we saw what happens when you do that. Patrick Mahomes, I don't know, volleyball spiked somebody in the end zone. And then, you know, we got a pop-up interception, Julian Love. By playing for Jabril Peppers, you know what I mean? Coming in there and making a pick. You, you saw all sorts of these crazy arm angles. Yeah, sometimes they're completions. Sometimes he's off. Sometimes he's just missing his guys. Travis Kelsey, missed, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. too. Yeah. yeah, but but because they were they weren't open. I mean, he wasn't missing open guys deep. They allowed nothing deep. This was a, a in my opinion, my humble opinion is it was my opinion to begin with. Um, this was a well called game by Patrick Graham. I mean, you made them. Tariq Hill had under a hundred yards on twelve catches. Yeah, I mean. They really kept everything short. If you told me it Travis did. Kelsey left this game on the first drive, I'd believe you looking at a stat line. And then even so, like it didn't feel like they had a thousand first downs either. No, yeah, they know. were struggling, man. What was the uh, what was the the time possession breakdown? Because you would think if you're doing mm. a bend don't break like we're talking about, they would have just been marching down the field slowly but surely, but slowly but surely. We couldn't get them in the end zone, and then you look up and it's like forty-two to you know. 18 for time possession, but it didn't feel like that's the way it was. Um, I mean, it was 35-25. All right. I mean, that's that's the fringe upper limit of not being lopsided. You also have to understand like the first quarter was almost entirely Kansas City's opening drive because after two plays, we gave it right back up, and then they you know, right. scored a touchdown. So the, like the whole first quarter was Kansas City drive. Um right. And that's not, that's not an excuse, but I mean, the game didn't really reflect a, you know, that, that kind of breakdown, in, in my opinion. But, but what I will say is when the Giants moved the ball, they had the big chunk plays, they had penalties adding on to chunk plays. I did the Devontae Booker had that, oh my God, did we figure out how to run checkdowns and screens? Finally. Right? I mean, we finally figured out the timing of when to release on a block and turn around for the pass so that you don't already have guys screaming down on you. It seems like we finally figured out some timing stuff. But we had that Booker big play, and then I think there was a roughing the passer on top of it. And then the other one was the launch to John Ross, which I'm going to jump on my second – maybe he's a star maybe he's an honorable mention was john is john ross the most underrated free agent signing we've had this offseason since everybody else hasn't really panned out yet maybe adoree jackson has i would say adoree jackson's i mean he's had you know their the highlights the highs have been very high with john ross they've been they've been highlight film type plays you know we're not getting we're not getting much the consistency and i'd still consider him what our third receiver even with all the injuries right now yeah, but but see, the way I view it is that John Ross was signed to do just that. And we kind of looked at it like, well, if he can do just that, it's a home run, but he's got a lot yeah. of drops. But he hasn't the dropsies haven't killed us yet. He's I mean, he's been a little hampered by a hammy. There's his that too, drops, but his drops haven't been as bad as some other people on this team who've been with this team for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> Uh, but but to me, if you told me, you know, if we can get John Ross on a bomb on the, in this game, that'll definitely help. You know, like absolutely, if we can hit John Ross on a bomb in this game, that's that's instrumental. Hit him, hit him twice on two plays there. Um, Even if, you know something, he just now that he's caught a couple, he puts a little bit of the fear of God into you because now you can even, you know, take a shot once or twice a game, or they, the defense will be prepared for you to take that shot, even if they're not, you know. Plays like that to me are always setting up other things later in the game. And, you know, if you don't connect on that bomb early in the game, they're thinking about it and you've loosened up the defense a little bit for other things that may happen. So when we don't have a guy like him who can stretch the field and you're taking a shot, you're going to see safeties creeping in more. You're going to see more of this. But when when he's on the field and they can see now there's been a couple of completions he's had, big-time ones, you have to have him in the back of your mind. And that changes a lot of things for how you can – you know, game plan offensively. I actually think that the reverse is true. I mean, you, you get you get a couple of bombs with him. Like that play, first of all, completely mugged and still got the catch. That was some, yeah. That is some Steve Spagnuolo defense if I've ever but, seen it. But you know something? You know, that that's the league now. It's like take more shots because yeah. No, I, I agree. You're almost as likely to get the the, the the pi than you are you know the completion. So it's like there's three possible outcomes, and the offense gets two of the three on those plays 
Yeah. I think I think getting those bombs allows the comeback routes to work because now you know with John Ross's speed. And by the way, I really That's like yeah. the idea of collecting Kadarius Tony's speed, Darius Slayton's speed, John Ross's speed, and uh, Dante Pettis's speed ain't so bad either. Um, and CJ Board's speed isn't that bad either. I like the idea of collecting a lot of speed on the outside. It feels like we didn't have speed for a bit. Yeah. That's um, the game now. That's what it is. It's it's getting separation. And- my issue is that we don't deploy them, you know, like to do that often. But well, whatever. Like, that's that's again. Let's be a little fair now. It's like yeah. we don't have. The I I, I get it. Yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. I get it. In a perfect universe, you know, I think things are different. And again, I think I texted to you, or I might have tweeted during the game. It's somebody's complaining about Garrett. It's like. Is still is this really the Garrett offense? Is this really what he's trying to do? You know, what? Yeah. How much is he being hampered by the personnel that he has to deploy, as opposed to what, in a perfect universe, he could do? And it's not just well, one guy is out. It's you know, three fifths of the offensive line. You know, at some points, three best receivers. Your franchise running back. For a little bit this year, your quarterback had his. Brain yeah. <laughs> eggs scrambled a little bit too. So, you know, we can't do what we'd like to because we don't have the on on the current roster, the active roster, the personnel to allow you to execute it. And I, don't I, I, forget, I, it's not an excuse. It is a fact. And every time I keep going back to it, I mean, I I'm in a text group with the guys we sit with in, in section 124, and they, you know, I love them all, but you know, everything is like, well, Garrett, this, that's like, guys. Look at the injuries. Look what's going on. That explains a lot of this. Yeah. And it's true. I I, want to get to Garrett in just a moment, but before we switch off from Graham, I'm just going to point this out. Um, To put it in sheer numbers, they didn't have Jabril Peppers, Blake Martinez, or Lorenzo Carter for this game. And they held an offense that, while it's been struggling, we both know what this offense is capable of even this year. And they'll break out at some point. We know that. We just don't know when. Managed to hold them to 20 points. Now, to put that in perspective, this year, that they this is the year they've been struggling. So this is the year to compare it against. Um, despite struggling, the Chiefs were only held to 20 points or fewer twice so far, the Bills and Titans. In the other contests, though, 33 points, 35 points, 24 mm-hmm. points, 42 points, Titans. 31 yep. points. And the Bills and Titans, by the way... Those are those are two Super Bowl conversation teams. Well, Titans were uh, now they got a, they got a big problem. Well, but, okay, fair, but when the Chiefs yeah. faced them, yes, of course, of course, right. We're not talking about a team that was eh before the injuries happened. We're talking about legitimate title contending. Yes, teams. and and we are the eh before the injuries happened. I didn't have lofty Super Bowl expectations for this team at full strength. At full strength, I thought they'd go nine and. What is it? Nine and eight now, or ten and yeah, seven? We were, we Somewhere were, around there. We were around eight and nine, nine and eight. We were both kind of that's, just that's above or just below the five hundred, which is like it. the sixth, seventh wild card spot. That's not that, and that's it. And if you told me the injuries by week one and then by week three, I'd be like, we're not making the playoffs with those guys injured. There's no way. We're not good enough to overcome right. that. There's no reason this game should have been close, and it was. And I think that's due to Patrick Graham's excellent scheming to keep the points down, to keep it competable for Jason Garrett to get creative enough to make something out of the mush that he's got to deal with. I'm not giving him a pass. He was not perfect, Jason Garrett, but I don't really know how you even draw up an offense to go against a Chiefs team with this. I, I don't know. And they found ways to do it. I, you know, I'm going to give some credit. There has been some creativity here with Jason Garrett. I mean, the Kadarius Tony pass, everything about that was awesome. We had crossing route over, and, you know, what a laser of a throw by Tony. Maybe if he led him a little bit, it'd be even better. But, you know, there's that that I liked. You know, on the on the first red zone drive there, uh, sec the third and goal play. I wish it was called on the second and goal. They kind of had like some guys out. They put. Uh, they put Shepard in motion and then hit him on the motion for like a wide receiver bubble screen. It didn't work, which is why I would have preferred it on second down. Because, But it, it's almost guaranteed yards. They only needed like four. They got like three. I mean, why that's not called more often, I don't know. But it's a good play to call there, and he called it. You know, mm-hmm. there was – there's – 
a reason that the Giants scored two touchdowns in this game. A lot of it was luck. Some of it was being able to have some level of script and game planning to move the ball. You know what I mean? Get chunk plays. Take advantage of things here or there. I think he did a pretty good job. I, you know, The things that he screwed up are the same things that I've complained about all year. There wasn't anything different about this. The challenge was just harder for him. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm frustrated. It gets worse, too, because we, we, we come out of this game, by the way. Sterling Shepard hurt his quad, looked really, really bad. Um, I mean, I thought he tore his ACL, the way he was writhing in pain on the ground. Um, we have no update on that other than Joe Judge saying <laughs> – this is a Dan Duggan tweet. I thought it was funny. He said that Judge says that it's not too, too bad – um, which in the Joe Judge lexicon actually means that it's it's kind of bad and he's going to miss some time. Um, Dante Pettis hurt his shoulder. I thought he broke his wrist the way he was cradling his arm. Kadarius Tony lacerated his thumb. He's probably fine. Going to have to maybe have like a – apparently it's a severe laceration um, or at least severe enough to, to take him off the – I don't know but if he could catch real well after that. deeper and deeper into the wide receiver depth. And, you know, now right. we're getting into, you know – Joe the plumber playing soon. It, it's getting that bad. Yeah. And we learned today, Thursday, that we have some close contact COVID guys. Running back coach Burton Burns is tested positive. I believe he actually is positive, 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 which means Saquon Barkley Ooh. tested positive. I believe he needs to retest negative twice in 24 hours or something like that. It's not believed that him, Skura, or Xavier McKinney actually have it. I don't think they're not exhibiting any symptoms. I think they just tested positive also. Um, they'll be retested. So we'll see. Um, I wasn't real optimistic that Barkley was going to play this week anyway. So You know something? It's pretty amazing. You know, We're talking 16, 17 months after the, uh, this pandemic hit and these guys are still getting swabbed on a daily basis for yeah. the test. I mean, you know, I mean, most of us have either been vaccinated or, you know, the need for testing isn't what it was in, in the beginning of this. And, you know, we all remember what it felt like. And these guys are still on a daily basis getting it. And, whew. <laughs> Sorry for the sidebar, but it's just the thought of getting the, getting the swabbing every day. The, so the nose crazy. treatment. Yeah. Um, a um, couple of things I wanted to bring up just in my random notes. And it's a little bit about the uh, – the Monday night experience. Um, two things. <laughs> okay. Did you watch the game with the Manning cast or did you watch the regular broadcast? Regular broadcast for me. Regular broadcast. I I don't like the Monday night crew. So oh, I, just, I, I don't either, but I need, uh, I need to focus. The Manning thing I, is too distracting. And that's why I was going to ask because I started with the Manning cast and I quickly switched over because a, it's a little, it's, it's, if the game I'm not that don't care that much about, I think it's great. But again, yes. you're right. When I, when I need information, but then as soon as they go to the John Stewart's in the world, which you know I don't understand for 30 years why anybody thinks he's funny to begin with, but you just completely get distracted, and so I had to go back to the other guys. And my second question for you is, what do you think about Lewis Riddick? I think he's. I think he's actually stupid. I think he's a smart guy, but he is ready to just say things at the risk of sounding dumb. I was actually getting frustrated on the opening drive for the Chiefs. We we just I just bloviated on Patrick Graham on how great of a a game he called and how he's held them to twenty points, one of three teams to hold them to twenty points or less this year. Um, the opening drive, I heard them say, "I'm not seeing the Giants get any pass rush." If you watch that freaking drive. Patrick Mahomes is getting rid of the ball in like literally two seconds. They were all screens and short passes. He didn't throw anything deep. So what pass rush were you expecting? It was like, did you have that written down, ready to say? Of because I have no idea what you expect of any pass rush in the league. Von Miller isn't interrupting one second passes. They're screen passes, bro. You can say generally that the defense isn't doing well because they were moving down the field fine but if you want to focus on the pass rush you have to at least say well they're not getting home kind of because they're they're getting the ball out quick like that's not just an important factor it's like 99 percent factor lewis riddick 
I mean, he's like a hooker waiting for Fleet Week to come in. He's he's so desperate to sell himself to become a GM. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's insane. You yeah, know, he even referenced something he said as scout language or something at one point. He's, he is extremely bitter. He didn't get the Giants job, and you know he's had a he's had a chip on his shoulder ever since he got into the Monday Night Booth about the Giants. He never has a good word to say about him. I think part of it is because of that, and I just think the guy. I just think he's that smart, and maybe it's because he's just trying to create better TV content or trying to make a name for himself or whatever. But you know, he was saying some things like, you know, how come in a goal line situation, where's Evan Ingram? Why isn't he on the field? And literally half a second later, Evan Ingram catches a touchdown pass. It's like he's just sound like an asshole, and he he's. I mean, I mean, if Gettleman decides to retire or they fire him or whatever, you know, of course you're going to hear like on who should be on the shortlist for the next GM and his name is going to be on there. And there's no reason to. I mean, the guy he's just another one of these talking heads. It's just people just assume he's smart because people tell you that he's smart. But just listen to a broadcast and you come away very unimpressed. I I – I mean, I I find everyone on that broadcast pretty unimpressive. I mean, we have guys circling the wrong players, you know, saying things that don't make any sense. I I think it's interesting that the name in sports network is, like, the worst at NFL coverage. And then when he does us, I remember he circled somebody with the the huge pass rush. Like, oh, wait a minute, I circled the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah, he was was on the wrong side of the line. And, and like, okay, mistakes happen. And, like, you know, the best – Chris Collinsworth will make that mistake from time to time. And I think – him and Tony Romar are some of the best at analyzing in real time. Um, but, I mean, you notice a trend. You know what I mean? Like, just like we notice a trend with Troy Aikman saying absolutely nothing. Um, yeah. You notice a trend with ESPN saying nothing. First of all, the broadcast drives me crazy because, like, I don't see any reason why in football, when you're not playing up-tempo, um, why you can't give me a replay after every single play. It's a very stop-and-go game. Mm-hmm. It's not soccer. I don't need – and I understand this is for the national audience, but I don't need after every play a big giant graphic about and whatever and stats. And like, Can I and you know, watch and you the game I'm trying to watch? Like, And you mentioned soccer. If you watch a Premier League broadcast or something, if there's like a, a, a shot or something, you know, a shot on goal or, or an offside, they can go to the replay within seconds. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how fast – they can go back and replay it again. It, 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 it's, it's so much faster than, you know, American football or something. So the technology is there that they can do something like that. The other thing that bothers me about their broadcast is that Riddick and Greasy sound exactly the same. They do. They do. I, I thought that was just me. No, it's just like it's Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and I can't tell which one is which. And uh, Levy doesn't have that voice. I mean, he's a better hockey guy than he is for football, but – you need a voice. You need like I don't. I can't stand Chris Fowler on college football because he doesn't have that voice. And you know the voice. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for everybody who criticizes Joe Buck, he has that. He has voice. the voice. I think Kevin Burkhart has the voice. Burkhart has the voice. Uh, I don't know that he has anything else. I mean, he's Nance, he's all right. Jim Nance has the voice. Pat Summerall had the voice. Vince Scully has the voice. Kevin Harlan. They, they sound like. Dick Enberg from back in the day. Guys, when you hear their voice, it's a big game because they're doing the big game and it just is a memorable, you know, timber to their voice and inflection and they get it. Timber. Leap pronounced timber. Or timber. Maybe they've been, you know, in- inhaling a bunch of wood, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, with these guys, you know, they just Levy is not a football guy. I don't I mean it distracts because it makes Monday Night Football seem less and less important by the, the lack of quality announcers. Now, I'm not watching Monday Night Football specifically for an announcer, but I want them to be up to the task of what they're doing. Monday night, there's better games now on Sunday night. I get it. The Thursday night games are getting better. But, you know, when you think about it when you're a kid, Monday night is the big night. And I remember, should. man. I remember putting on games that had nothing to do with anything. It was like, I want to see John Elway on Monday Night Football. You know what I sure. mean? Like, I remember that. 
Um, I think the formula's right. I think... I like the idea that they have, or they fucked it up because they, they haven't casted it right, but the idea of having the Manning cast to bring in an audience that has no interest in the game itself and its result. Mm-hmm. To find something they clearly like football and something entertaining on top of it for a game that means nothing. That's a way to draw in an, an audience like but, me but because if- I don't usually watch Monday Night Football and I have been. Oh, and, you know, I guess it's the, the double-edged sword with that because – you are going to an audience that's not X's and O's. They're not gamblers. They're just. But that's like, fine. Well, that's fine. That's why you have the two. Then you have your real broadcast. The problem for them is that the real broadcast, their guys in the booth are still wrong and they haven't gotten it right in a while. Well, my problem with the Manning broadcast is that, you know, okay, they are two smart guys and they have a great chemistry as brothers. And this is a Disney thing that goes from mm. Good Morning America to ABC to ESPN to everything. It's bringing in people that have nothing to do with what you're watching to promote other shit in their, you know, in their universe. They're, they're, the, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I don't need to hear John Stewart for anything. Why is he on this broadcast? Charles Barkley, zero interest in what his football takes are. Why is he on there? It, it's just they, they have this thing where if I just throw the kitchen sink at you, you'll be interested and you'll want to watch. And it's distracting. I turned it off. Okay, again, it's a giant game. And I need to know more information about what I'm watching. But I, I don't need to hear, again, like a John Stewart or a singer or something stupid. It's They just get um, in their own way. I will – I agree 100% with that. Like, especially when you're plugging your own shit. It's like Disney owns half the universe, so they bring on somebody to plug something on whatever network. That's really annoying. Um, mm-hmm. I, I make exceptions for, for famous people that are entertaining and interesting that actually are knowledgeable about the sport, and they exist, you know? They exist. Um, I, I didn't watch the Manning cast for this one, so I don't know what Jon Stewart said or didn't said. I think it's I possible that... I, 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 I don't blame you. Joke and I, I, I aborted. It yeah, no, I, I, I get it. But if John Stewart went on there and he was like, you know, I, I really don't know about you know this, you know, I don't, I don't know how I feel about Joe Judge, but you know, the, and, and he had, had some kind of level of insight, like he's interested in this team or or this game, or maybe he's a Chiefs fan. I don't. I, I, he's from some New Jersey. Guy, I, I assume like he's John a Hannes Giants fan. For, for that, who's a John, civilian, not like a sports, you know. Not a reporter, not an analyst, anything. But you know, he's a, he's a regular. The actor, John Hamm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, okay. but he's not part of sports, but he knows enough that you know, to what your point is, to ask insightful questions or kind of. But, but even story. if he's not, he might might he might have something to add. You know what I mean? Like right. to the act, like, and also be entertaining on the side, and that's totally cool. I, I'm I'm into that for every game that I it has nothing to do with the Giants because right remember you have to understand ESPN knows that there's people who are like I'm watching one Monday night game this year. It's the one we're playing in, and that's mm-hmm. that that you know who that is. That's me because I hate their broadcast. But, you, but you're not watching the Manning broadcast for that. You're this is something. But where- but I am for all the other games. Because I actually do find it interesting. I have been, yeah. well, at least portions of it, at least, and that's what they're aiming for. They got me from nothing to something, right? Yeah. So I would, I would go in and like you know, I'll watch the Manning broadcasts. Usually, the first quarter is the strongest quarter. Yeah, I and then all that. of a sudden, then all of a sudden, if like, well, Jimmy Buffett's in the studio or on the <laughs> air, it's like, well, I'm I'm out, and I'll I'll go back to the other guys. So my interest kind of wanes the longer it goes. I, uh, I think it's not going to last. I think part of the problem is that they had the right idea, but they had like no oversight, and so they've had flubs, you know, with Marshawn Lynch and you know <laughs> things like that. And, and to your credit, if John Stewart said nothing and he just plugged his thing and was kind of useless on the air, then that's a flub too. I mean, people see through that shit. So you know, I, and and I think because they they didn't handle it completely right from the beginning, it might end up going. Uh, especially since Eli Manning is kind of in demand, I'm sure Peyton Manning is also in demand to do other well, things. Well, remember this is this is Peyton Manning's production company does. This. Oh, did not know that. He sold this idea to ESPN. He owns that show. Oh shit! So this is that's a pretty genius, cool. You know, he gets to do Monday Night without having to go through the grind of traveling 17 weeks. Like you know, Lewis Riddick is on the road. 17 weeks in a row to you know all over the country 
Peyton and Eli get to do it from their, you know, their basements. Yeah. That's and pretty cool. because they're kind of just ripping on the game, they don't have to put in the hours and hours and hours of work that, you know, Riddick does or probably should be doing because he screws things up a lot. But, you know, it, it, it's a full time job being an analyst. I, I remember one time I was on a plane going to Minneapolis for a Rays game and Kenny Albert was sitting across from us on the plane and he had done something the night before and he was you know he had this binder like this big he spent that entire flight prepping for the the Braves game now I doubt he knows Rays twins like he does Yankees Red Sox but he has to be and he always sounds professional it's not him just being a genius and just knowing who the second baseman is for the twins it's him preparing and but that's the type of broadcast he does. He's a he's a play-by-play guy who's going to give you X's and O's and give you analysis and stuff. Peyton and Eli are just kind of like I said, they're riffing. They're commenting just purely on what they're seeing in front of them. Yeah, and, and and honestly, I find that more insightful. I don't really want yeah. them to do research on guys and tell me things I can just Google. Like I I exactly. want to know what their their thoughts are in game, reacting to the situation. I want to know what they what if there's downtime. I want to know what you know personal stories they have that they can give insight to like on the field shit in the huddle stuff you know what i mean that's yeah. interesting to me i don't want them to be kenny albert you know no. so I, I i think it's brilliant yeah yeah all right I, that, i'm gonna call this one um <laughs> we'll be back you know friday for our preview game for the raiders uh one o'clock at metlife um in the meantime, follow us on Twitter. I'm at football underscore grump. He's at the cranky fan. The show is at just giants pod. And um, yeah, tell your friends. So we will see you guys uh, tomorrow, I guess. All right. We'll see you, we'll see you on Friday. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. All right. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.